Most runners have a fairly complicated relationship with pain. I mean, the sport itself can be downright unpleasant at points. Most of us have something hurt during a training cycle and or a race. Doesn't need to be terrible. Doesn't need to feel like your leg's going to fall off. But we just kind of get used to pain. And that doesn't mean it's a good thing. But it means we're pretty intimately aware of what pain feels like. So when Rick Olderman reached out to me to talk about pain on the podcast, I thought it'd be a great fit. Rick is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist for over 25 years. He's written a series of books about pain and helping with chronic pain. And he and I sat down for about an hour to talk about a whole host of topics from what is pain, uh, how pain gets started in the body, and how you might repattern movements to get rid of some of the pain you're experiencing. He was also kind enough to demonstrate an assessment on me, and if you have the ability to watch the video version of this, I highly recommend it. If not, no worries, I'm going to include a timestamp if you want to skip listening to that. It's only, I don't know, 10-15 minutes. The rest of the conversation will be completely audio-friendly. But if you have the ability to watch it, I recommend you do so. Anyway, that's it for the intro. We're going to get on with the interview. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This week on the podcast, we have Rick Olderman. He is a physical therapist and personal trainer and Pilates instructor, and he is also the author of the Fixing You series of books. And his assistant reached out to me a few weeks ago on the podcast, and I he was kind enough to share with me some of his info and looks legit. So I'd love to chat with him. And we're going to talk about injuries and how, you know, you get rid of pain. So I guess first off, Rick, um, have you, like, what's your athletic background? What have you done in the past? And um, what's your history? Yeah, uh, athletically, uh, you know, I wrestled in high school, uh, played football. Um, and then I've always uh, lifted weights uh, pretty much all my life. And then, uh, probably when I got into my mid thirties or maybe early forties, uh, a friend of mine, uh, came in from a run. I said, Oh, what are you training for? He says, I'm going to run a half marathon. I said, a half marathon. Are you crazy? <laughs> uh, yeah. I and I thought <laughs> I want to do that. So, so that's what got me started. I've run a couple marathons. I've, uh, I've trained for more marathons than I've actually run Fair. and, uh, you know, just ran a heavy half this past weekend and, nice. uh, just trying to keep it up. And, uh, you know, every, every time I think I want to get into ultra running, that's usually in the first five to 10 miles of my run. <laughs> and then once I hit that 10 mile mark, I say, who are you kidding? <laughs> oh, you mean you don't want to go not gonna happen. like 12 hours at a time? That's not a thing. Yeah. Feels no. too. Fair enough. Okay. But if I run 12 hours at a time, it's still not going to be over five miles. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know how that goes. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm in, in training for a 50 currently, and you're speaking to an audience of like trail and ultra runners. So it's right. going to be, yeah, I feel you. It is, yeah. it is, a, it is a, it's a big step, man. <laughs> so yeah. you write a whole series of books on pain, and I 
there's not a single person listening to this who hasn't experienced pain, not just because we're human, but also because like we actively seek it out in this sport. Um, what is pain? Well, pain is a sign that something is wrong in your body right now. Okay. And that, that whatever set that up could have happened, you know, last week or 20 years ago. So the good news is though, that because it's a sign that something is wrong in your body right now, if you fix it now, that pain can go, go away, even if it's been around for 20 years. Okay. I love that answer. So what is that distinction or like, how do you figure out how much you go about figuring out a pain that's been here for 20 years versus something that's recent? And like, what might the stimulus be if those are different? Well, you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter to me when I try and figure out pain because uh, the way I work, uh, and we can talk about how what that is, but um, any the, I've broken the body down into two basic movement systems. One is anything low back pain all the way down to the foot is one of those systems of movement. And then the other system is any pain uh, from the shoulders, you know, arms and head, that's another system of movement. And I look at everything from the pelvis all, all on up to the head. So they, there's crossover, of course. But sure. uh, that way, I, I see everything that's wrong at once. And so it doesn't matter whether it's an acute injury. An acute injury, and it's funny, someone just asked me this question, what's the difference between acute injury and chronic injury in terms of medicine? I feel like we uh, address acute injuries much more or less uh, seriously than chronic injuries. Because we, yeah. in medicine, I think that we rely on the body's innate ability to heal, to carry that person through that injury, you know? Oh, let's just rest and ice and we'll massage this and it's going to go away and you're going to feel fine. And we think that then when that acute pain is gone, the injury is gone. But it could be a chronic issue that's contributing to that acute injury. And if you don't address that acute injury more seriously, it could become a chronic issue uh, later in life. So, sure. um, yeah, I think, I think that a lot of us are getting this wrong in, in medicine. I can see that. So like, what might that look like? Say you have an acute issue that sure. is coming from a chronic issue. Yeah. How are we, how should we be looking at that, at that differently? Yeah. So, uh, let's take one common to runners, knee pain. All right. Yep. So uh, I'm going to, I've got a little skeleton. I'm going to demonstrate some things on. That'd be great. All right. So uh, the, it, the knee, there's, all, there's precious little in the knee that actually contributes to the knee function. Everything that's coming from either the hip or the foot. Sure. And uh, so there is one small muscle in the knee that controls the knee joint. We'll get to that in just a second. But there's all sorts of things that control the knee such as uh, one, one of the big things I look at is the shape of the thigh bone. So I, I don't know if you've heard of femoral retroversion or femoral antiversion, but basically yes. all of our thigh bones, which is a, a, a long straight bone in the body, they're not built the same. Men typically tend towards having something called femoral retroversion, which is an external rotation or an outward rotation of the thigh bone, even though it's sitting correctly in the hip socket, okay. a twist is happening. And females are typically oriented more towards uh, an antiversion, which is an inward rotation of the thigh bone. Okay. Absolutely. So, this really to your cue angle. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, it, it can, uh, especially an antiverted femur, will contribute more to a cue angle. 
right? Which yeah, is the sure. angle between the ankle, knee, and the pelvis, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, and a larger Q angle in older research is 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 blamed for things like ACL tears and sure. meniscal things, and you know MCL strains and so forth. So, uh, anyway, so the shape of the thigh bone, the the, the problem is, is that uh, a lot of training systems don't take in the shape of the thigh bone into account when we're training. Yeah. For instance, uh, I was just that. working. I was just working with an NFL player, um, and uh, he had a hip and foot pain, and he had one retroverted femur, and so his training and his pain started when he was in college. I didn't find this out until like this was nine years later, and uh, so his problem started in college when he started working with the trainers in college, and it's because they all offensive linemen go through the same training, right? Yep. And so there's no understanding of femoral antiversion or retroversion. You're going to point your feet forward because that's the way it's done, you know? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you've got a yeah. retroverted femur, that's not going to work. It's going to create all sorts of problems. And yeah. that's what happened with him. He had one. And then also the stance in his, in, on the line. Sure. He, it was set up in a way for someone without retroverted femurs. So once we made the small change to his foot position, I mean, this is during practice and live games. Within three days, his pain was basically gone that he had had for nine years. And so what that, what that does is if you have, and I'll, I'll just go into more detail, if, if you have a retroverted femur and it's rotated out, but you have this socialized idea that you should, should, should be standing with your feet pointed forward straight ahead, then what you are creating is a relatively internally rotated lower body system internal rotation at the knee and at the hip joint and even at the foot often creates pain. Sure. All right. So for someone with a retroverted femur, the simple solution is to just let the feet rotate out a little bit, like usually two to five degrees solves the problem. That takes tremendous stress off of these joints. But additionally, what happens is by virtue, and those of you who, uh, who think that you might have retroverted femur, just try standing with your feet pointed straight ahead. All right, just for, you know, 10 seconds. Now turn your feet out five or 10 degrees and feel the difference, all right? And if you don't feel a difference, now rotate your feet back straight ahead again and you'll feel the tension in your system increase because of that point in the feet forward. So that is happening all day long whenever you're standing and walking and when you're running. Yep. So you have this unnecessarily increased tension in your system and tension is the recipe for chronic pain, tendonitis, tendinosis, all that kind of stuff, right? Sure. If you're developing all this chronic tension in your system, then that's where a lot of knee pain will be coming from sure. too, all right? In a nutshell, to, without getting too sense. specific. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Well, I, I kind of figured this out a bit ago when I was doing like heavy back squats. If I turn my feet out like 10 degrees, like you said, yeah. it fixes the problem, right? right? Whereas before that it's causing issues. So let me ask you this, Will, why weren't your feet turned out originally? Oh, they were originally. And then I, you know, but what happened? You're supposed to do it forward. Right. Trainer, and then right. I stopped doing it because some, another trainer told me, no, man, it's silly. Don't do that. Yeah. 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 When I first started personal training, I worked at this uh, kind of pre prestigious health club and I was starting to do some lunges with someone and the, one of the trainers came up and said, 
you can't do that. I said, well, what do you, what's going on? And they said, the knee is moving over the toe. <laughs> you can't do that. I said, I don't oh, understand. Man. What do you, what, why not? And she's just like, it's, you're just not supposed to do that. I said, but that's how the ankle's built to be, to happen. Yeah. And, you how know, you go upstairs, how, man. How's, like, how's this person going to sit in a chair if yeah. their ankle can't, knee can't? And so I said, if you show me the research, I'll be happy to stop. But, you know, <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's just, you know, there's a lot yeah. of these myths that are floating around in a training, yoga, Pilates, physical therapy, medicine in general. You know, things like, you know, your feet have to be pointed forward and your knees can't pass over the toes and all sorts of things that end up getting us into trouble. Oh, for sure. And I feel like what really kind of drew me to your stuff in your books was the looking at past injuries and past relations and how they make connections. Right. Like, yeah, I, Oh God, I have a long injury history, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, mostly being an idiot, 20 year old male. And, um, is there any other kind? Well, <laughs> not that I've personally met man. <laughs> like, me neither. Oh God. So yeah, one of those things. And I, have always realized because I probably because my dad's a PT, right? Like I'm a little privileged on that front that there's this relevance to my past injuries that cause current pain. And sure. there, I, <laughs> I know a lot of people don't think about that. They'll do like a intake on somebody and ask them about any injury history. I'm like, no, nothing. And they're like, no, I'm talking like 20 years. And then they'll give you, you know, eight things that have gone wrong. And I feel like that is, I mean, you can tell me, but I feel like that seems to lead to a ton of, ton of movement imbalances over the years. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's really funny. Some people don't think of things as injuries. And I, I had a woman uh, with chronic migraines. It ended up, I believe, coming from her shoulders. I sent her in for MRI. She said she had no shoulder pain, no history of any shoulder issues. She came back and she had two full thickness rotator cuff tears. Are you serious? Yeah. That's fascinating. And she, and she didn't know it. And, and her doctor was just, how in the world did you figure that out? I said, well, I didn't figure out that she had rotator cuff tears. You just did. <laughs> but I knew something was wrong with her shoulders. She had spent the last 15 years compensating so astutely for this. And what had done, what had happened is that it ended up generating neck pain and headaches, chronic headaches for her. So this was the issue. Once she got those shoulders repaired, uh, no more migraines. Sure. So when we come to some of this compensation stuff, how might we go about diagnosing it or how much you first, because that's probably a little easier for you to talk about. And then how might we do that without spending a fortune on medical care? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, I don't want to give you a, a standard PT answer, but I mean, I, I mean, just have can. to, I just have to look at the body to understand, you know, yeah. I so that. I think I think the first step though would be um, open to the idea that oh maybe those old ankle sprains that I had when I was in high school are and they were on the same side as my knee pain now maybe there is a connection there yeah. and uh, you know or maybe that's why my back hurts you know on that side or maybe that's why I have SI joint pain you know all sorts of things so these old injuries just being aware that there could be a connection will send you down the road to solve that connection. So many people are unaware because, and this is how we're trained in not only, you know, as lay people, but in medicine too, we're trained to think that knee pain is a problem with the knee. Back yeah. pain is a problem with the back. No, it's all part of the same system. It's a system of problems 
that's the knee is the vulnerable is the weak link in that system or the back is in that particular sure. case. So being open to, to, to thinking of anything in your lower body system that might've gone wrong in the past is likely contributing to your current pain now. And if yeah. you, if you're open to that, you'll be open to looking, casting a bigger net to solve this, these things. I get that. That makes a ton of sense. So yeah. would you mind, like, I, you're welcome to say no, uh, diagnosing sure. a little bit of my hip issue at the moment. I'd be, I'd be happy to. might look like. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put away my skeleton here. That sounds great. Cool. All right. So uh, tell me about your hip. What's going on? Uh, when I run more than about an hour and a half, I get this pain out here mm -hmm. on my hip, right? feels like where the insertion of the femur goes into uh, pelvis. And mm -hmm. it's not terrible, but it's not great. <laughs> and um, I've noticed in the past when I like kind of come out and sweep in that rotation, it will click. It's been doing that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It has never caused any pain. But uh, now that I'm running more, it's starting to tw get twingy. And sure. um, a couple weeks ago, if you want the whole, like, the short version of the whole injury history. It all matters. Um, my, I busted my left MCL dancing at a wedding. Um, not terribly, but it's not great. Uh, I have bursitis in my right knee from an old Frisbee injury. And then I like obliterated my left ankle in the first year of college. Okay. That's it? That's uh, all that's in my like current memory. Those okay. Big ones. All right. So uh, do you mind taking off your shirt so I can take a look no. at it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Take off your shirt and turn around. Okay. Do you want it like completely off or pulled up? Uh, completely off. Okay. Pull up. Back to me, and you're you're pointing at your right hip, correct? Yeah, that'd be my. Right yeah. Hip. So I, I can see already that you have what I call a side bending problem on your right side. So your right uh, pelvis is elevated, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I'm going to guess that your right rib cage is also depressed. Probably. All right. My, my left shoulder is separated too. But... Yeah, I get, you have something going on with your left shoulder too, but I'm going to stay focused on your right hip. Okay. So, okay, so I've seen that. Now, uh, you can put your shirt back on if you like. Cheers. So, uh, we have talked briefly about for more retroversion or antiversion. Have you ever had this tested for yourself? No, uh, the ret um, what is it? the retroversion fits though because of all the patterning that we've talked about in the past. I'd like to see the degree of retroversion that you might have. So can you angle your camera down? Because I'm going to have you lying on the floor on your stomach sure. with your head faced away from us. Let's see how we can maybe make this work. Sure. All right, all so right. stomach facing this on way. On your stomach, yeah, head, head, head faced away. Scoot away from your bed just a little bit there, Will. Okay, that's good. Okay, bend, bend both of your knees. Uh, and now allow both of your feet to fall to the outside naturally. Don't force them. Just no, not down to the floor, but yeah, to the outside. All right. So uh, did you notice that you separated your knees? Yeah. Uh, so bring those knees back together again. All right, bend the knees. And now let the feet. So those of you looking at watching this on, on video, you can see that his right uh, foot is out further than his left foot. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you feel that too, Will? Yep. Okay. So does that feel painful at all to do? No. 
Okay, so now straighten your left foot down to the ground and let your right foot fall across your left knee, wherever is comfortable, don't, don't force it. Okay, and now straighten your right foot down to the ground, bend your left knee and let your left foot fall across your right knee. Can you see the difference between the two? Yeah, I feel it. What's the difference in your opinion? Um, my left leg is not touching my right leg at the moment. Mm -hmm. My right leg would. And yeah, do it on the do it on the right side one more time. Yeah, but look what your pelvis right is doing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So if you didn't hike, if you hiked your if your pelvis moved the same as your left, your right leg wouldn't go down nearly as far as the left. Yeah. Does that make sense? Correct. Okay, so you can go ahead and stand up. All right, so what that's cool. telling us, uh, so the first angle that we looked at was the amount of internal rotation you have in both of your legs. All right, you have more internal rotation in your right thigh than you do in your left. Yep. Fairly significantly. Yep. And then the second angle that we looked at was the degree of external rotation you have in both of your legs. The left leg has more external rotation than the right leg does. Yep. So the right, so it's the left leg that has more femoral retroversion, I would guess, without actually measuring the degree, You're just right. looking at that gross. Your yeah. left foot needs to point out more than your right. So knowing correct. that your knowing that your uh, pain is on your right side and you've had knee bursitis, I'm beginning to, and you're an endurance athlete, I'm beginning to wonder if this is a compensation issue. Me too. So, uh, so now let's just check something real quick. Put your hands on your butt and I want you to put your fingers in the center of your butt cheek. So they're right in the middle thickest part of your butt, right? Not yeah. down where, where your hamstring is, but way yeah. up in the middle of the meat. And I want you to pinch your butt cheeks together. And there's yeah. your, there, there's your maximum butt contraction. Folks, you can try this at home too. All right. So you got that? There's yep. your maximum. Okay. Now relax it completely. Okay. Now you're, I'm going to ask you to walk around like 10 steps. So yep. you might want to open your door and just walk around, but keep your hands on your butt cheeks and yep. notice whether you feel any of that contraction happening when you're walking. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. Gonna... Is, is it the same on both? Right's a little looser. Okay. So now go up on your tippy toes, keeping your hands there and walk around like that. Do you feel more butt contraction like that than when your heels were down? No, less. Less, <clears throat> okay. And so we found that your right butt was less active than your left butt. Okay, so, yep. uh, and one, one last thing, uh, Will, let's have you sit on your bed. Okay. Feet on the floor. And I just wanna see a gross strength okay. thing. I just wanna see, lift up your right foot like, and stand yeah. up on your left and then sit down on your left and then lift up your left foot and stand up on your right and down on your right. Do you feel a difference between the two? Not a whole lot. Le right feels less stable. Not, not weaker, but less stable. Less stable. It should, if you're going to kick a soccer ball, which foot, you would kick it with your right foot? Yeah. Okay. So your, your left foot leg is your posting leg. Yep, that's right. Right. And that's usually, in runners, that's the one that usually lands harder when we're running Yeah, because of that. So uh, just, let's just tease this out just one more time. 
let's have you sit on the bed since you didn't notice the difference. I just want to make sure we're not barking down the wrong tree. Sure. Can you do 10 reps? Just, I don't care which foot you hold up first, but just do 10 reps sitting up and down slowly and feel your leg muscles doing the work. Try not to use your trunk. Okay, and then uh, switch legs. Notice the difference okay. between the two legs? Yeah, so the strength wise, um, left was fine the entire time, right? Somewhere around rep eight, uh, my knee wanted to cave and throw everything into my BMO. Okay, all right. Well, now we're, now we're getting somewhere, right? Okay. So I, I'd like you to angle your camera down one more time and you're in pants, but do you have a pair of shorts that you can change into or can those pants pull up above your knee? Yeah, how high above my knee? Uh, just, you know, maybe an inch or two. I just want to see your knees. All right, and, and correct me, I, it's hard to tell from this angle, yeah. but it looks like your right foot is more pronated than your left, is that correct? Yeah, and I, I can't see your feet, but uh, it, it, is your right foot flatter than your left? Um, not notably that I can tell. Okay. So, yeah, just the thing that I noticed right here, right off the bat, is that, you know, we, we, we identified that your left leg might be more retroverted than your right, yet your feet are pointed at the same angles. Okay. All right. So just do me a favor. Stand like that again huh. and let your feet point out maybe two to five degrees. Okay. All right, good. And now just stand there for a second. Do you notice how it's easier for you to keep your knees softer when your feet are pointed out like that? Yeah. Point them back forward again like they were. You see how your knees lock backwards? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So and I'll tell and I'm you, since you can't see it due to the camera angle, my right foot's out like three, probably, I don't know, two to three degrees. My left foot's out like four to five. Yeah. Um, when that's actually comfortable. All right. And then the last question I have for you, when you did those single leg stands on, when you were sitting on the bed, were sure. your feet pointed forward or were they turned out? Turned out. Okay. Both of them equally, you think? No. No. Left more by like... That much? That is, a, few, yeah. a couple degrees? A couple degrees. I, I'm just curious, uh, Will, if you... Uh, I don't want to give you a big workout or anything here, no, but fine. if you did t 10 more with your right foot turned out, would your right leg feel stronger in that position? What do you mean? Uh, so that your right foot angle is the same as the left. Mm. If it's externally rotated that two or three degrees more that's like the left is, does your right leg feel stronger in that position or not? It feels weird. <laughs> um, yeah it's gonna feel weird feel like i'm like yanking my knee backwards with my glute need that's 10 I'm less, I'm less wobbly <laughs> that's that's 10 there did that and, and in terms of strength any any difference similar strength um, okay but less wobbly all right so uh so what we're what we found is because you have that side bending problem at the very beginning it means that this is probably an older problem all right. Yeah, I'm sure that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the second thing that of note is that uh, your right butt muscle doesn't seem to be firing as well as your left. Definitely true. So there's, have you ever heard of something called anterior femoral glide syndrome? Mm -hmm. Okay. That uh, I, I would venture to say that 
you are more prone. So anterior femoral glide syndrome, folks, for those of you watching or listening, when the hip is in the socket, uh, it should just be pivoting in that socket when you're moving through motion. But in anterior femoral glide syndrome, the, what's happening is the thigh bone is actually migrating forward in the hip socket, all right? It's kind of like if, if you've ever had a washing machine that's out of balance, it's careening around. That's kind of what's happening with the thigh bone in the hip socket. All right, so uh, you also mentioned that you had a click in your hip, all right? So anterior femoral glide syndromes also contribute to labral tears because mm. of that uncontrolled uh, careening in the hip socket. That makes sense. And also, if you have something called FAI, which is femoral acetabular impingement syndrome, that is a thickening of the socket of the hip joint. And usually that's going to cool. happen on the side where there's an anterior femoral glide syndrome. Yeah. I believe it's in response to the, to the glide act. It's actually abutting against that and causing the bone to become thicker there to protect that, that area. So, and this also contributes to overall just hip arthritis because uh, things aren't controlled well and sure. things are sliding when they should be pivoting. So I think you probably have something like that going on in that, that right makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. And, uh, and especially when I, when you tell me that your right butt doesn't seem to be as contracted, that's the primary controller of the, of the hip bone in the hip socket and it's not happening when you're walking so it makes me wonder if that's happening with your running or maybe it's some degree some percentage less than the left when you're it, running it feels weaker um, yeah yeah i've been trying to figure this out for months so like this okay. is all like coming like exactly where i thought just you know way fucking faster so okay yeah so so the the butt muscle is also an external rotator of the thigh bone cool all right well, we just learned that your thigh bone is slightly more internally rotated than your left one on the right. Mm -hmm. So sure. you need more external rotation control than you do on your left side. Sure. All right. And, but you don't have that. So that is allowing for uncontrolled internal rotation of the thigh bone in the hip socket. Cool. Okay. okay? Does that yeah. make sense? Yep. All right. That also puts the IT band at a not an ideal position to work in. Sure. So, uh, and then also what that does is it plays down into the foot as well, because then the foot starts to flatten because the thigh bone is rotating in because Got the it. butt isn't firing. The whole system starts collapsing in. This is what, well, we started off with knee pain at the beginning. This is a classic example of <laughs> what causes a lot of chronic knee pain. Sure, and absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes okay. sense. Yeah. And, and it can cause, you know, plantar fasciitis pain, heel spur, Morton's neuroma, any kind of knee uh, think pathology, any kind of hip issue. Yep. It can cause SI joint dysfunction. It can cause sciatic pain, unilateral yep. back pain. So the, it's, what's important to understand is, and this is one of the things is that you'll notice that in you, it might cause you hip pain, but in your neighbor, it might cause them knee pain. Yep. And in the person down the street, it might cause them SI joint pain. Yep. And this is the beauty of understanding the body as a system. Because when you see all of these things happening at once, I expect to see these kinds of descriptions of pain. But the solution is the same for all of you. Sure. Right? Yeah. So that's the nice way. That's the nice thing about understanding things from a systems standpoint. It, it makes solving problems a lot simpler. All right. So, uh, so I believe you, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you might have an anterior femoral glide syndrome. 
that's contributing to your labral tear and possible and possible FAI. Cool. All right. And that uh, learning to walk with better gluteal activation will likely correct that. But because you're an endurance athlete, I would also give you uh, a specific exercise for gluteal muscles that will get that right glute on track and stronger much faster than just learning how to walk like that. Okay. Um, And then uh, what I might even do if I was seeing you personally is uh, tape up the right foot to assist with the external rotation of that lower limb. Got it. Because you don't have the muscular control of that yet. So by taping up the arch on the right side, and I have a unique way of doing that, that assists that whole lower body system to orient correctly. Yep. That makes sense? Does. Absolutely. So that's kind of that's kind of it in a nutshell. Cool. What I do. That's great. Yeah. I love all of that. And that felt like, you know, it's uh felt very familiar, but it's been a while since I've been diagnosed like that. That's cool. Um, thank you for your time. Oh sure. Um so if we're looking at like seeing I'll send you my bill later. (laughs) <laughs> cheers <laughs> happy to pay it um so if we're looking at um your a couple things that came from that one like i'm not in pain most of the time but i'm clearly dealing with this most of the time mm-hmm. so can clearly we can fix the pain without fixing the cause how do we go about it? like why or how does that happen well uh what do you mean by we, we can fix the pain without fixing the cause what do well you like my right hip doesn't hurt until I run for about 90 minutes or more. Oh, okay. So I'm not in, I'm not in pain most of the time. Right. Well, rarely. Doesn't that uh, make sense based on our strength testing? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. like, um, but is this a pretty standard thing where your body just like learns to compensate and then yes. you're not in pain? Yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, think of the load at the hip joint, the knee joint. I think uh, I read a long time ago that the foot and ankle goes through up to five times your body weight. Uh, on a run, your knee goes through up to three times and your hip one to two times your body weight. Sure. So you've got this compounding factor with high volume. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, it's just got to break down because you don't have the muscular control of anything yet. Yeah, you might, it, it may be that taping that right foot may just put you over the edge and, you know, take this away for you, sure. you know, until you at least get that gluteal muscle under control cool so if we get like directions like that or figure out our own stuff from your books or whatever um how do we go about tracking progress in a way that would indicate we're doing well or heading in the right direction yeah well i mean first of all i expect pain to go away very rapidly sure right so uh in my clinic i typically expect a 30 to 50 percent reduction in pain after my first visit and so uh, if, I don't, if I'm not getting that, I'm probably barking up the wrong tree. And, and that's based on the fact that I, over the years, I've learned that the body responds very rapidly to things that are right. And also, yep. you know, maybe a little more slowly to things that are wrong because we have so many redundant systems in the body to, to compensate. But once you reach my door, all those compensations are likely spent. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got to fix all, yeah. all those things. But that's, that's typically what I, ex- I expect. So if I gave you a program, I would expect you to, what did you say? How many miles did you have to run before you'd start? To... It's about 90 minutes. I'm a trail runner, so 90, it depends. No, but yeah. 90 minutes, okay. Yeah. So I, I, you know, our first goal would be, okay, let's see if we can get you up to 120 minutes. Sure. And I would hope to, 
How often are you running? 90 minutes? Uh, a couple times a week. Okay. So, so I'm hoping a week or two, we would see that up to 120 minutes before fatigue is stepping in. Or especially cool. if you tape, it might happen that very day. Because now one of the one of the support systems for that whole lower body system is now being held up by tape correctly. And it prevents the collapse. Sure. That which, makes sense. Help, which then helps that whole lower body system engage better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And okay. that actually kind of spurs another thought I had yeah. where, so in general, and I'm trying to apply this generally, I wanted, I mostly wanted to use myself as an example, right? So we can talk. Yeah. No, I love it. <laughs> um, so, cause I'm broken enough to where we could do this forever. So like, Aren't if we're we looking at, yeah. <laughs> so if we're looking at, um, taping or wearing a brace or whatever have you, like how long should we expect to use these support structures? Um, and does that weaken other things along the way? Like, are we, are we planning to tape forever or is this, yeah, how does, how does all that tie in? Yeah. The question is, I, the answer is, I don't know. Cool. So really, uh, <laughs> what, what I have to do is I have to see how quickly we can get that glute online, right? To control that femur head in the socket. Sure. And then I've got to, I got to, we got to get you walking better so that it's happening throughout the day. And so mm -hmm. you're neurologically activating that gluteal muscle the way it should be, even when you're not running. Okay. Right? And so that yeah. we're going to use the tape as a bridge. Got it. And, and, and that will help us put things in alignment so that things can turn on the way that they're supposed to. And if they're not turning on, then you're not going to have pain, hopefully, because of it. Right. Yep. So, so once we see that gluteal muscle nice and strong, and once I see the gait pattern has improved, right, then we start weaning you from the tape to see if you can hold it. That's where that's where we find out whether we need to tape you. Maybe you only need to tape for runs that are over, you know, three hours. Sure. And you know, all the runs you're going to be fine up to that point. There, there may be just be, you know, some some point where you're just plateau your muscles just can't do anymore. Or maybe you've got that labral tear or that FAI, or maybe a little bit of arthritic change in that hip. And look, you know, I just need a little bit of support because of these things, I right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you have to be open to those kinds of solutions. We just have to, it's person by person, to be honest. Yeah, that makes sense. And if yeah. we're, I mean, it depends, right? The, the, the standard answer forever. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then if yeah. we're looking at, like movement changes for a lifetime. Like I've mm -hmm. had clients who go see a doctor, a physical therapist, and they're basically told, well, never move that way again. That mm -hmm. like I've one woman labrum issue, not even specified as a tear, and mm -hmm. told just never squat below 90 degrees again. Um, and do, I don't know, permanent universal statements like that that are limiting range of motion does that seem realistic to you in a lot of instances or is that a overstatement most of the time or how do you how does that fit well here here's how i would think about that uh if she got that labral tear because she's squatting below 90 degrees then that's not so off <laughs> as long sure. as you have that labral tear maybe you shouldn't be going below 90 degrees then, yeah absolutely right true. if the labral tear is happening because of some other issue it could be irrespective of the depth of her squat. So it really depends on what's the source of that labral tear. Sure. Uh, and I don't, I don't believe the, the one universal, I, I have a couple of universal rules that I have. One is that, you know, you've got to fix your walk. 
you know, if you're not walking well, well, then I'm sorry, you're going to be putting excessive strain on your, on your joints, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you consider that you're taking at least 10,000 steps a day. Right. And, and this is one thing that a lot of runners don't realize is that the walking is setting them up for success running. If you're walking in a dysfunctional way where like you, your right glute isn't turning on, then it's just going to take that much longer for that thing to start turning on when you're running. If you're walking in a way that the gluteal muscle is turned on naturally when you're walking, then it's going to be ready to go right there when you start running instead of allowing you to fall into this hole before pain starts happening. For sure. And that's probably even more relevant than you realize because most trail runners are like walking half the time. We call it hiking or some shit, but it's walking. There there we go. Yeah. Cool. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. So would you say that there tend to be more the walking is a bigger issue than the running. Like most of the time, yes. if you can fix the walking, the running is going to be good. Yes, better. absolutely. I, cool. I see, I've worked with a lot of runners. I'm, I'm not a running coach, uh, but I, I know if I fix their gait pattern and their lower body issues, I don't care about the running. They're going to be able to run, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to dare mess with people's running uh, techniques. I yeah. mean, maybe little things here and there where I say, hey, that knee's rotating in an awful lot or, hey, your foot's collapsing an awful lot on that painful side of yours, you know, sure. things like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like, you know, cool. um, yeah, that makes tons of, like that makes a bunch of sense. So I guess that would bring me to. If we're taking 10,000 steps a day or whatever, it may be 5,000 on a light day, 20,000 on a heavy day. Like if we're looking at that and we've been doing that for 20, 30, 50 years, um, how do we consciously make that connection without, you know, just having it space? Because if we are doing this over and over, how do we like remind ourselves to like cause these or create these repatterning or these adjustments or those kind of things? Yeah, well, I'm sure you've heard of this, Will, where, you know, we have unconscious, you know, lack of control. Then we have conscious awareness of poor control. Then we have conscious awareness of good control. And then we create unconscious aware, unconscious good control. So there's a spectrum, right? So the first part of that is being aware that you're not walking correctly and and owning up to that, all right? The second thing is to understand what exactly is wrong with your walk and how to fix it. And that's what I show people how to do that in my programs too. Cool. That's a, you know, one of the, one of the pieces of it because walking so critical for anything back and anything lower body, it's all always coming down to a gait pattern issue yep. is, is some feeder of that problem. And then, uh, so then you have to learn how to do it correctly. Well, you know, that, that happens much more rapidly than you might think. Uh, so usually within a week, maybe two, most people get it. And one of the things that helps them get it is that they have pain when they're not getting it, right? Sure. (laughs) That's a great motivator (laughs) to learn how to do things well. And they see that when they do it well, they Mm -hmm. don't have pain. So it's an easy equation in their mind. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If we have this unconscious pattern that isn't like directly causing pain though, like, like again, or actively in the moment causing pain, any strategies or techniques that might, you know, help you create that habit or create that check-in process? Well, first, uh, if it's an, if it's an unconscious pattern, then you then you're not aware that it's even a bad pattern. Right? I guess, like my 
let's use me as an example. Sure. Continue to do that, right? So yeah. I'm clearly not walking well, especially on the right side. Um, right. I mean, I'm aware it exists now, but there's yes. a pretty high likelihood that if I go walk for a couple hours, I'm not going to like have that focus for that entire time. Right. Um, and if that, like, if I'm on my feet all day, which I am, I'm going to break that, especially if I'm like talking to clients and moving around and picking things up and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, do we have this like ability to check in regularly or thoughts on like creating those habits so that we, you know, yeah. can bring that back to the forefront of the brain? Sure. The The first thing I do to help people change their gait pattern is I tape the backs of their knees. Because the thing I, that, that sounds awful. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the thing that is turning off your gluteals, Will, is the fact that you're locking your right knee when you, when you stand. You might be doing on your left side too, but I know it's happening on the right side. I do it. I'm probably, I stand on my left since it's my posting leg. I, I mean, I, not when I, you stand. I mean, when you walk. I'm walk, sorry. Got it. And I, yeah. and I lock it all the time. So I'm sure it's happening yes. on my right when I walk. Yeah. yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to get a little piece of athletic tape and you're going to, you're going to bend your knee about 10 or 20 degrees. And you're going to put a little piece of athletic tape behind your knee <laughs> about halfway <laughs> up your calf to about halfway up your thigh. Uh, and then every, anytime you start locking your knee, that's going to give you feedback into your point. brain that says, uh, there it is again. So usually I do that. That takes about three days for most people to, to break that cool. habit. And what you'll find is that you have to take smaller steps than normal because your pelvis doesn't know how to open up in the correct way. It's been opening up in an incorrect way. That makes sense. So, so once you start to walk with your knees softer and change your gait, you're going to have to take smaller steps temporarily. Uh, once that once you get it, you'll be able to take as big a step as you want to with your knees unlocked, but your brain just doesn't know how to do that just yet. And cool. that three days will help your brain figure that out. Once that's happened, then we uh, teach correct walking patterns. But you've already done the hardest work because unlocking the knee, it, you can't walk correctly if you're locking your knees. Sure. Absolutely. And so uh, if you fix that, then you can fix your gait pattern pretty easily. Yeah, super helpful. So yeah, just, just little triggers. I get that. Um, and then if we're looking at, I guess a couple couple other unrelated questions to to me, but it would be nice to hear from PT. One, um, if you do damage something like a labrum or a tendon or something that is not muscular tissue, is it going to heal on its own? Is this a thing that will come back together? Like how how much can we expect an actual repair process? Likely it won't heal on its own. Uh, there's two things that go into that. One, uh, one is, does it get its own uh, vascular supply, right? Yep. If it doesn't, if it's an area of your labrum that isn't getting blood supply, there's nothing that can heal it then. Right. Right. Uh, same goes with a meniscus or, or things like that. Yep. So the second thing is, if you haven't changed the thing that caused that tear to happen, then it's not going to heal. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so you have no blood flow and you keep hurting it. Yeah, got it. Right, right. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I don't know of, and there's probably studies out there that might show this, this happens. I don't know if there's a spontaneous healing of labral tears or meniscal tears that occurs without surgical approximation. And then, a, you know, a resting period because those tissues are not like muscle. And like you said, they're not like muscle. So they're not going to heal as rapidly as muscle. They're not going to heal the same way muscle heals. Yep. You can, so they need a little bit more forced rest 
in approximation to make sure that everything heals and lines up correctly and things like that. That makes sense. Yeah, they've shown that they don't even pull from the amino acid pool in the same way. Like you actually need to like preload collagen for it to be effective at all. <laughs> Whereas like you can obviously drink a protein shake or something afterwards for your muscles. So mm -hmm. it's, it makes a ton of sense that you'd need to like treat them differently in all of the ways. I get that. Yeah. And then one thing that I get questions asked about fairly regularly and don't have a, you know, great answer, warm-ups. Um, what does a warm-up really need to look like? Um, does it need to be very individualized? I feel like it probably should be, but I'd love to hear your opinion. And then like active stretching, static stretching, like how might that fit? Well, I agree with you. It's, it's individualized. You've got hypermobile people who are runners and you've got hypomobile people who are runners, right? And so, and there are some people who have very tight calf soleus complexes. Yep. And there are people who have loose calf soleus complexes. So it has to be individualized. But really what, what I found is that your body will tell you what you need. You know, if you're, if you're first, you know, half mile, you're groaning because you're stiff and sore, right? And, you, and your feet feel like two blocks of concrete then maybe you should do a little bit of stretching before because frankly, if that's happening, you're going to have compensations that are occurring that are going to damage you. Sure. Yeah, so spend, spend five minutes, you know, do some active yeah. or dynamic or whatever. But if, if, you, if you're one of those people who can just are loosey-goosey and just feel just fine uh, running without warming up, well, then that's obviously working for you. Who am I to yes. say no, you know? For and sure. for me, like I'm a flat foot runner. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not very you know, mechanically gifted. So, so when I run, uh, you know, that goes directly to my hips and knees more. Got it. If I was a more of a four foot runner, like I see all those kind of gazelle like runners who are nice and fleet of foot and fast and light on their feet. That's not me. They, they have more, they have more joints that they can disperse force through because they're four foot runners. I have fewer because I'm a flat foot runner. Yep. So I need a little bit more warm up because I have more trauma happening to me than those gazelle runners. Like that. That makes sense. And I guess the other thing that be there is how, if somebody's struggling and doing this, like how might you find um, a PT that has this kind of systemic view? Cause you'll often see some that are only focused on individual muscles or, uh, whatever, rather than looking at movement patterns and all of that. And until, I mean, my early 20s, when he got really sick, my dad would always look at me, so I never had to go through this process, right? So, like, mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious how you might go go about this. Also, things have changed a lot in the last 10 years from an insurance perspective. So, how, yeah. how might someone search one out? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, this is not taught in PT school, because uh, I've trained all of my therapists at my clinic were new grads or a few years out. None of them have been taught any of this systemic because we're trained as component yeah, thinkers right. <laughs> to understand a tissue that's injured. And we're taught and we're trained to think that we're systems thinkers because we can think a joint above or below, but it's it's really more than that. So my my recommendation, the the uh, professor who I base most of my biomechanics off of is Dr. Shirley Sarman. She's a PhD professor out of Washington University in St. Louis. So if you people 
if your listeners are um, looking for someone who thinks from a system standpoint, then you can ask their ask the prospective PT, hey, uh, have you studied Dr. Shirley Saruman's work? You know, and if they've never even heard of her, chances are they're not going to be a system thinker. But if they have heard of her then and and studied her, then there's more of a chance that they'll be more of a systems thinker than than the average PT. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Rick. I really appreciate it. Anything else you definitely want to add before we head out? I'd like you to uh, no, mention programs, all that other stuff. But what else What else can we remember to move a little better and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a couple things. One is no one who came to my clinic with anything, any pain from the low back on down to the foot didn't learn how to walk better. I don't care how old they were. So you're not too old to learn how to walk better and your body will thank you for it. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, you know, if you've been dealing with chronic or nag nagging or recurrent injuries, it's not because you're broken. It's because you haven't gotten the right information yet. Because the body has all of these innate processes to help it heal. You can cut your skin and it'll heal. You can break a bone, it'll heal. So if something's not healing, it's because there's some obstacle in the way. Now, it could be a musculoskeletal thing, but it also could be a nutritional, dietary, allergen-based thing. It could be an emotional, traumatic, you know, spiritual kind of trauma thing contributing to tension patterns in your body that's causing you to hurt. But whatever the cause is, uh, there are solutions out there because our bodies are naturally designed to be pain-free or relatively pain-free. Now, whether they're designed to be running 150 miles all the time, maybe a, another question. <laughs> yeah, probably not, but that's what apparently we choose to do sometimes. So, right. You know. <laughs> I don't believe mine is, but I, I yeah. applaud those who, who can do that. So good uh, for them. Yeah, for real. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, yeah it is. Hey, and, uh, so, so anyway, uh, anyone who's looking... I've created downloadable home programs to help people solve their pain from head to toe. Those can be found at rickolderman.com. And I've also created an online training program for any health or wellness practitioner who's interested in learning how to look at pain from this perspective to understand and solve it. Uh, you can also find that course there. And if you type in fixing you, all one word, F-I-X-I-N-G-Y-O-U, for any of my programs, you'll get a 20% discount on those. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate yeah, that. Sure. Yeah, sure. Kind of okay. I will definitely include all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much. Hang out one second. Anybody listening to this, thank you very much. I appreciate you sticking around. And I will be back soon with another episode. Good day. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.